Welcome to Mandemonium, a podcast where I, your host, Mandy, talk to guests about their favorite works of fiction, whether that be books, movies, TV shows, or more. Today, I will be continuing my discussion with Rachel Delaney on the Netflix horror show, Midnight Mass, this time discussing the third episode entitled Book Three, Proverbs. All right, Rachel, welcome back. Uh, continuing our discussion of Midnight Mass, we are on episode three, uh, which is Proverbs. So, uh, and this is also our flashback episode. The yep. whole thing's not flashbacks. No, but you find out what happened and who Father Paul really is and uh, what the kind of what the weird stuff going on is all about. Indeed. So I was trying to figure out like when it opens up the show, like, and he's in the confessional so that he's in the church, but it's gotta be like that night before he like talks to them all Mm -hmm. and sees anybody. Right. But his outfit didn't match the outfit that was on the ship. And I was really hoping it'd be the same outfit. (laughs) Maybe he changed. It was like when you travel and like you have all that like travel, like filth on you. And then you come back and you put on your collar and a hoodie. He just got back into his uniform. <laughs> I don't know. But I do think it is like the night before his, like, when he shows up at the church and gives his first sermon or whatever. You are probably uh, correct. Um, so he's kind of telling the story of what happened to Father Pruitt in the Holy Land. Um, I mean, we've. I already spoiled it on this podcast that Father Paul is in fact Father Pruitt because once again spoilers everywhere on this whole podcast. and I have so many questions about this trip <laughs> like he's like wandering off he's lost nobody on the trip is like concerned <laughs> I mean like you have that one guy who was like oh no 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 over here like trying to like guide him like I don't know. But yeah, nobody seems to really be that concerned. Like, I'm wondering, like, I don't know. It almost seems like he went by himself, not with like a group. But he's definitely there with a group. (laughs) I don't know. There's only one person that showed concern for this man on this trip. (laughs) And apparently it was very, like, minimal concern. (laughs) Oh, and the other thing I wrote down from this initial flashback was the quote, um, I'm going to tell them this lie for their benefit so that when it starts, they will be ready for what is to come for the miracles that are to come. And I was thinking about this because I feel like there's a lot with like Jesus trying to prepare the disciples for what is to come Mm -hmm. right in the new Testament, but Jesus never lies to them. Right. Like he tells them things they don't understand. He speaks cryptically, but he never like straight up lies. Right. And father Paul straight up, Lies. But like, so I, I wrote down that this confession scene basically gives us insight into how Pruitt thinks. He thinks it's okay to sin, basically, as long as the ends are... Justify the means. Right, exactly. So, I mean, he, we've, we'll, we'll, we've, I guess we'll see it with the, uh, the mouse scene or whatever, and we'll see it, like, we see it here, but like his whole thing is like, I'm okay twisting things or lying to people or whatever, if it grows their faith. And that's that's his main goal. So this already shows us that he's got this flawed approach to um, sharing the faith and, and leading people in yes. that respect. 
Yes. Uh, and of course, ultimately the problem with lying people to maintain their faith is then you create Riley, right? Mm-hmm. Or Bev, who isn't actually in it for faith, right? Like yeah. you just, you give people a bad foundation, then what is there? Mm-hmm. Like they're going to suspect everything, which we see with Riley later in this episode. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts about this initial flashback sequence? No, that was just the like, wow, this really shows us what he is, uh, what he's like. But that was, that was all that I had for this. And then we go back to the healing of Lisa. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I noticed, so it's from like Bev's perspective and what she's seeing. And like when I watched it yesterday, the first thing I thought was like, man, this woman is to power, like, like blood is to shark in the waters. Like she can just sense like, oh my goodness, something big is happening. This is a huge opportunity. Like she's, she, I don't know. It didn't seem like she was excited about Lisa being healed. She was excited because like there's power around here and I need to find it and take advantage of it. Yeah. She also like, I mean, related to that, right? She follows Father Paul back into his house, you know, like... (laughs) I mean, to be fair to her, he kind of seems sick, and he is, but, like... That's not why. <laughs> he's the man from space. <laughs> Actually, the, one of the things that the show did really well, right, is Father Paul being sick right after he heals Lisa is yeah. extremely misleading. There are a lot of misleading things in this episode, I feel like, which I'm sure we'll discuss as we go further on. I but... feel like this is misleading on purpose, though. Oh, like, okay. he's trying to redirect you, Flanagan. Right. Mm-hmm. He's trying to like distract from what's really happening. Uh, because of course, when I first watched it the very first time, I was like, Oh, some of his life force must've gone to Lisa to heal her. Yeah. Uh, cause you know, we didn't really know about the vampire and things like that. The first time we watched yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Cause I have written down, like, I feel like that sickness is meant to foreshadow his death later in the episode, but it's just, it's just weird. Like the whole, it's, I don't know. I think you're right. I think it was purposefully, this was just a coincidence. It was just a red herring, but something is clearly wrong with him. So I guess that's the, the uh, message we're supposed to glean from this scene. So Bev follows him to his house. Uh, she, I mean, she truly does look amazed, right? Like she doesn't, understand what's happening and then she sees what we later learn is the newspaper article on the wall and i think that's when it hits her like yeah confirmation something weird is going on and i want in i think that's what she knows from that point that he is father pruitt yeah whether he's told her or not she knows I, I guess it could be like one of two things. She could guess that he is Father Pruitt made young, or I guess the other thing you could assume is that he's an angel in the form of Father Pruitt. Either way, there's, but there's... the fact that he's sick makes you think not angel. Yeah, angels. Sorry, <laughs> we're gonna talk about angels in this episode. Use that name in vain. Lots uh, of times. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because like the camera is the wall, and she's staring at the camera, so you, the viewer, don't know what she's looking at. Yeah, you don't find out to the end mm-hmm. when it like zooms in on it, like and it's the last uh, scene of the show or that episode at least. Yeah. Uh, so then we go to uh, Lisa's parents having Lisa checked out by Sarah. And uh, real quick, I want to shout out uh, the mayor. Uh, if you are a nerd listening to this podcast, the mayor 
is Anders from Battlestar Galactica. And it took me a really long time to figure that out. <laughs> but he is. Uh, so very different role. Very different role. Which just says he's a good actor. Right? So, uh, but uh, I feel like there's a lot in the show that sets up the mayor and his wife. But I feel like this whole sequence kind of sets up. There's a reason why they're like the first to fall to the cult. Right. Because they saved the... They, they put so much money into Lisa being able to walk again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Pruitt just gave it to them. Yeah. I mean, they don't own their house anymore. They're living off of food stamps. Like, they've everything of their, their, their own personal effort they have done to try and help her. And then it's like, well, here you go. Here's the thing that you've always wanted. And, like... It's like, well, we're not going to ask questions. We're not going to do this is what we wanted. And of course, like, we're going to follow this man anyway. Like, if he goes off a cliff, we'll go off a cliff too, because he has given us what we've worked so hard to achieve. They're, they say, um, the quote is, it feels wrong to interrogate a miracle. Uh, though he says it with more of a question mark, like, where I feel like Sarah could have been like, she could have combated it, but she just doesn't even know what to do with this. Right? Yeah. I think she's just as baffled and like, cause she's approaching it from like a scientific perspective and like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. And I need to process this, but I also want to know why this happened. And I think from a modern perspective, you know, like I think it's really important to interrogate miracles actually <laughs> to determine if they are in fact miracles. miracles. <laughs> Right. Uh, because this is why people get sucked into all sorts of movements or, you know, uh, questioning authority, even in the church is actually very important. Right. Uh, otherwise this is how you get some of the cover-ups and scandals we've had in recent years. (laughs) Asking a question is never wrong like but there are so many people who are like this who are like well i was handed something miraculous so i can't question it so now i have to follow you Mm -hmm. and it's like well i don't think they wanted to question it i mean it's not even like oh i shouldn't question it it's just like oh i i don't want to know like i just it's fine this is what i wanted i don't care how it happened it's like this is like a really silly example but like uh one of my last uh uh, business trips or TVYs as we call them, I got upgraded to first class and it was like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to ask. I don't want to question it. It might go away. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like if I ask a question, then maybe they'll be like, oh, that's right. This was a mistake. You can go back to coach. And it's like, no. And so I feel like this is kind of what they're doing. Like, I don't, I'm not questioning it. Like it's happened. We're just going to accept that. We're going to move on and be thankful. Like the end. (laughs) On the other hand, at work one time, 32 hours of leave miraculously appeared (laughs) in my leave balance. And I was like, I need to question this because if I use it and it wasn't supposed to be there, they'll make me pay them back. (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) sometimes you need to question a gift. Uh, that, That leave was supposed to be there. They were back paying me. But, uh, I was, uh, took me months till I felt comfortable using it. (laughs) Understandable. Uh, Yeah. Sometimes you can't trust things, but yeah, I mean, Sarah is just like, we need to get her to the mainland and we need to get her some tests. And what I think is interesting about Sarah's tact that she takes and maybe what she really believes is like, because we need to get more 
knowledge so we can help other people mm-hmm. who have had this happen to them. Like, and they're just like, well, we can't afford it. So, and we don't want to question a miracle. And I mean, I get it. Like our medical system is on the one hand messed up, but on the other hand, I feel like there are universities they probably could have gone to just to like do the cat scans where it's like, we had this weird thing happen, write a paper about it. Yeah. I was like, at least get her a cat scan, like at least or an MRI or something so that they could look at it and at least like have it documented somewhere. Well, I just feel like there's a whole bunch of other tests that you're probably going to, and I, I mean, they have time, like, but I'm like, okay, so you got shot like mid waist, you're paralyzed from the waist down. I'm sure one of the things they were thinking about, especially when we talk about later with Lisa saying you stole from the future is like, can she have kids? Yeah. Right. They don't know. Like, can she have kids or is the miracle just her legs are healed? Like, I mean, that's not something they address in the show, but these are the kinds of things that I would think they'd want to. Yeah. To know. I also wonder what they, what would they find? Like, I'm assuming they would take like blood tests and stuff. Like, would they even be able to take blood tests? Because we find out later, like, if it's exposed to sun, it, like, explodes. Like, well, that would have exposed kind of the whole thing right there, yeah, right? Because they would have been like, there's this weird thing in her blood. Yeah. But on the other hand, would they have tried to replicate the weird thing? And then it would have caused the vampire virus to run rampant on the mainland. I don't know. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> because if you think you have a magical healing virus that repairs things... Yeah, but and you don't. Make that. You're know. like mass produce that and then inject it into everyone, and then like all of a sudden you can't go outside anymore. We all become vampires. Yay! It's like a zombie virus, but like vampires. Vampires instead. Why has this not been done? <laughs> I think it has been. Has I it? Feel like. Uh, oh, so Will Smith's in the modern remake. The Charlton Heston one's called Omega Man. Uh, the remake, Will Smith in it. There's his dog. I am legend. I am legend. (gasps) Those are vampire zombies. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen it. Oh, well in the, in the original, they're definitely much more like vampires. The original movie, there is a book in the new movie. They're definitely like vampire zombies. (laughs) Like, (laughs) so they can only come out at night and like, but they also seem kind of mindless or at least will smith thinks they are it's a it's a good movie you should watch it there's two endings though and one ending is better than the other uh <laughs> this is also like the scene right after millie is upstairs but still doesn't remember sarah but it's kind of like planting the seeds that Millie's getting a little bit better mm-hmm. she's strong enough to go upstairs and has a drive to go upstairs which is different than just sitting in the bed looking out the window and screaming during thunderstorms and stuff. About seeing your father. Yes. <laughs> I saw like a father. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the next scene is like people coming to the, I don't know what it's called, what, the house where the priest lives. It's not like a, it's a not rectory. A rectory. I Doesn't don't know. a rectory have to be attached to a church? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I always assumed it was a rectory, but I, there's like a word for like, if the priest lives in it and it's attached in the church. And then there's a word for if the priest lives in it and it's not attached to the church, but I do not, I don't have the right words. And there's a whole bunch of people begging to be healed, which makes complete sense. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what would happen. Yes. And I thought it was interesting. Like Bev has this line. That she says, uh, God does not seek glory, not like that. And I'm like, 
I don't know why the line just rubs me the wrong yeah, way. Yeah, it did that to me yesterday too. I was just like, oh, what? I was like, I don't know what this means. Like, first off, like Jesus healed a lot of people. Yes. For God's glory. And people, they would like, and it wasn't even just like, oh, you in the crowd. Okay, you. It's like, I'm going to heal you. Like there would be people coming like, please heal me. Like they had the, like the guy that was dropped through the roof, like, Heal him, please. Like the woman who touched the edge of his uh, cloak. Yeah. Like, I don't think it was called a cloak. Whatever. Uh, his garment. His garment. <laughs> his robe. Uh, it's probably too hot in the Middle East to wear a cloak. But like, so many people were mobbing Jesus, like, to be healed. And like, I mean, Jesus ran away from them at times because yeah. it was overwhelming, but he was never like, God does not want you to come to me for healing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want glory like that. Go home. Like, uh, I, I mean, I don't know if this is like Bev, like weirdly trying to get at kind of the question of suffering that comes up in the episode. Like God can't, doesn't, not that God can't, God doesn't heal everyone or like, I don't know. Like, I really don't know what she's I trying she's to say. she's just BSing. Like, <laughs> because I think she's trying to figure out what's going on. And she never wants to look like she doesn't know what's going on. She always wants to be there. So she's just like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Like, I'm going to beat these people back by, like, telling them some BS about how, like, oh, this is not what God is like. Because obviously I know this and they wouldn't. Because these are just little, like, plebeian, like, heathen people. Like, this is fine. I'll just preside over all of this and try and, like get them to calm down while I figure out what's going on. Like, I think that's what's happening, but I don't know. I don't know. Apparently God doesn't seek glory. We need to stop singing to God be the glory. I I thought God always like wants to like demonstrate his glory. Like, or he always wants to be glorified. He always wants to be like, yes, praise me. Like, because like, I love you and you should praise me. Like, (laughs) I, yeah, I mean, but he's worthy of praise. It's not that right. Like, it's not like God is seeking. I mean, I tried googling like this phrase to see like is it from the Bible, and it, I don't think it is. Like, I uh, but I got a couple of hits that were like, it's kind of like God doesn't seek glory for glory's sake, and I'm like, okay, like, or it's like you know, glory like in the context of like fame, in the yeah. sense of like, um, it's not a selfish thing, right? Like, it's like. But it's still just like, uh, I don't know if these words mean what you think they mean, Bev. Like, <laughs> which you're going to have a lot in this episode. And maybe she's just, maybe she's just doing her little rambly thing that she does, like when she's like on the spot or whatever. I don't know. Like when she starts just going off, like maybe if I talk long enough, they'll leave me alone and go somewhere else. <laughs> maybe I could convince the sheriff I didn't murder this dog. Uh, <laughs> if I just keep talking. <laughs> Yeah, but I was just like, the thing I thought was like, people came to Jesus begging to be healed. And I also feel like this is one of the many times this show compares Father Pruitt to Jesus on purpose, right? Because that's who Father Pruitt is setting himself up to be, is yeah. like the new savior. Yeah. Uh, but he ain't no Jesus. Cults, man. Cults! <laughs> uh, then we have the AA meeting. Mm-hmm. And Riley's just like, we're not going to talk about this. He's like, I'll talk about what? <laughs> There's nothing to talk about. <laughs> Riley's like, I was in service. <laughs> I was there. I know. Everybody knows. 
Yeah. And then like Father Pruitt quotes Matthew with like, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And I'm, I'm like, like what does not... it even mean in this context? <laughs> like it's not even yeah. Like I get it where he's like, well, like if you do something nice, like don't brag about it. Like that I get that, but that's not what that by that verse, <laughs> what Pruitt should have done was healed Lisa in her home. Yes. And not in front of everyone. Yes. Like, that doesn't mean do things without knowing what you're doing. Like, I don't... <laughs> to be fair, though, he didn't, like, he just knew that she was healed at that point. Like, who knows when she actually was healed or whatever. Right, but... right. But he could have done it in private. In yeah. private, he could have gone to her and been like, hey, Lisa. But once again, it's like the ends justify the means or whatever. He's like, if it's, if I call attention to it now, people will see it and their faith will grow. Like, who cares that this is, like out there and right <laughs> uh, and yeah like you said uh he only knew it because of his vampire spidey sense right <laughs> he doesn't actually heal her he right. just knows she is healed. healed and he can't explain it to riley and like uh you know there's this quote where riley says i suppose i would want more from the explanation right mm -hmm. and pruitt says and i'll always wish i could give you more and I feel like that describes a lot of Pruitt's character. Yeah. Right? He wants to give people more, but there's not more to give. Yeah. I just, oh, this little island can't handle this. <laughs> uh, Lisa goes to school and everyone's like mobbing her. Yeah. Uh, everyone knows what's happened. Like, like even like there's like adults on the street, like staring at her and following her mm -hmm. when she's walking to school that morning. But they all know her, like, even though they don't all go to church or whatever, they all know, I'm sure like it's a small Island. Like yes. anything that happens in the small, I went to a small high school, anything that happened, everybody knew about. So like, I feel like it's the same thing where it's like this little girl was like shot. I'm sure everybody knew what happened i'm sure that was like super hard not only for like the family but also for joe collie who has like now probably has a whole community like turned against him like they all know they probably all know who lisa scarborough is and what happened to her and now she's walking she's not in a wheelchair anymore like they all know it so of course they're all gonna be up there like i've got to see this like is she really walking like the girl that we've seen in the wheelchair for years and years is walking to school I do think it's interesting. Like Aaron gives her a really weird look at the school. And I was like, I don't know how to like interpret this. It's like when Lisa goes into the school and all the kids are like mobbing her and it's like a concerned skeptical look. And I don't know if she's concerned because like how everyone's like mobbing Lisa and she just wants them to leave her alone. Yeah. Or if she's like, something's what's weird. going on. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Because I feel like, okay, I'm a believer. But if someone got miraculously healed in my, healed in my church, I'd be like, hmm, what's happening? <laughs> you know? Let's go to the mainland. <laughs> Get some CT scans, maybe some blood work. <laughs> uh, maybe we should follow up on this. Uh, maybe we need to call, like, like, that's the thing. If you're Catholic... Like, I'd probably be like, maybe we need to call, like, someone higher up in the church to, like... Investigate this? Investigate this? <laughs> <laughs> like, what is going on here? Yeah, because I'm like, she looks surprised, but it's kind of like, you were there, too. Like, you saw this happen. So, like, what has changed between then and now? I don't, I don't know. 
I mean, maybe it's just seeing like the after effects and like how people are like being around her. Maybe she's just feeling protective of Lisa. I, I don't know, but I, I, you know, I'm just like, maybe <laughs> she, she just, just has a bad feeling because <laughs> they're all drinking the vampire blood at this point. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Don't drink vampire blood kids. No, this like, I did have a question about this. I'm like, wouldn't, wouldn't the wine taste like blood? Like wine and blood do not taste the same. So like, or does vampire blood taste like wine? Like, or is there so little in it? I don't know. Cause he like pours that whole like flask in there. But like, I assume the flask. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like that, that hit me to like when I was watching yesterday, I was just like, what? But, but blood tastes a certain way. Like it tastes very copper. Yeah. I'm just like, or, or maybe metallic. iron. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's probably iron. iron. <laughs> I don't know. I associate it with like the taste of a penny because I suppose that's the only like metal I've actually had in my mouth. And that, cause like, I mean, I've had braces in my mouth, but you don't really taste your braces. No. I feel like they don't taste like anything except no. your mouth. Yeah. That's probably from the plaque. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm just like, wouldn't you like, I don't know. They don't even have the same consistency either. No. So like blood is very viscous. Yeah. Right. And wine is not. But who knows what the consistency of vampire blood is? Yeah. Who knows? It could taste like wine. Maybe. Maybe know. you want vampire blood to taste good. Otherwise, people, people would won't. want to drink it. <laughs> this <laughs> is an evolutionary get, like, some, defense mechanism. Get some Stephanie Meyer like on the phone, like, well, so what does that tell me? Well, so that's actually. So I was thinking about this. You bring up Stephanie Meyer. I was thinking about vampires. <laughs> This is a vampire who is clearly not affected by religious iconography. Right. Like, I mean, at the end, and we'll get to there, he's literally wearing like church robes, like walking on a church, like hallowed ground doesn't bother him. Like what kind of vampire is this? <laughs> this is some Stephanie Meyer stuff, but you well, know. Well, he's not sparkly though, so. No, he is not sparkly. <laughs> I mean, vampire mythology is uh, always interesting because, uh different people have taken it different ways. Like when I was talking to my parents about this and they were like, is drinking blood how you become a vampire? And I was like, yes, that's like it's always how you become yes. a vampire. And like, they just didn't know, like that wasn't part of the, like, you know, common thing. They don't actually ever call him a vampire either. No, they never use the word vampire. So like they use angel. Yes. We're not there which... yet. <laughs> Uh, so I, I do want to, the next scene is the, um, this next scene with the music is actually, you hadn't watched it yet. And I texted you yes. and I said something like the music is too happy. Something bad is going to happen. <laughs> Look what's going on. But I think, I mean, it's just, uh, I don't like, it's some Neil Diamond, like that song, like when this came out, that that made it onto my, like year playlist or whatever because i'm like oh yes the song like you have to have this song because i watched midnight mass and it changed my life <laughs> <laughs> but like everyone's like the parents are like not hurting anymore she doesn't need her glasses the dad's back doesn't hurt starting to feel like some like sparks towards each other again like dancing in the living room lisa and warren are sneaking um, around kissing teenage shenanigans <laughs> that was young thinking, like it is you know the parents on that island probably don't get too upset when their kids sneak out because where can you go exactly <laughs> like, 
the worst place you could go is the uppers and like and they all know what they did in the uppers so like <laughs> yeah the church is getting more full like more and more people are coming to the church you see even like little like comfy scenes like joe and the sheriff drinking mm -hmm. coffee although that scene like reminds me of like andy griffith where like otis just comes in like yep i'm drunk and i'm going to be in jail so we'll just sit here but they're all they're all cool with each other even it's though all cool, bro. yeah it's all cool <laughs> the the outlier scenes are bev and the freaking rat poison <laughs> bev's going around everyone's happy bev's going around poisoning things like <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, uh, Riley seeing Terabeth. Yeah, but he's, I don't know, he's just like, oh, okay, that's... Well, I mean, the here. thing in that, right, is he sees Terabeth, and yes, that's scary or not good, but then he leaves and he goes sees Aaron. So even he now has, like... A way of escape. Almost. Yes. And then, of course, you have him and Aaron building the crib. So cute. All right, we got to talk about Bev and the rat poison. <laughs> I... So Flanagan has said on record that Bev did not kill Father Pruitt. Yes. Why is she walking around with rat poison during this happy... I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just to like keep that in everybody's mind. Although I think poisoning a dog is strong enough of a scene to like have you have that in your head the rest of the the series but maybe he thought no 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 like we still need to like have her we still need to have that continuity of her like and her obsession with rat poison because like that does come into play later but yeah I just I don't know I don't know because I thought the same thing too like I thought she poisoned him like and I didn't know why she poisoned him I don't know if it was because like if like <laughs> she she realized what was going on that he's father Pruitt and he's going around healing people and maybe she thinks he's like a demon or like I don't know we would always do you think like, rat poison is like, going to work against a demon I don't know I don't know <laughs> it's worth a shot it solves all sorts of other problems so why wouldn't it solve this one I don't know and so then she had to get rid of it I don't know but that's not I don't know after watching it several times like I don't think but she seems upset when he's dying too. she is so, legitimately upset when he's dying I think there are other reasons for that, but like when we get to that scene, we can talk about that. But I don't know. I think it's just, if it's not to try and like show that, uh, or to try and allude that she kills Father Pruitt later in this episode, if it's just to like keep it in mind that she's, she still has some sort of weird obsession with this poison and that is her go-to whenever she has a, a problem she needs to, to solve. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't have very many criticisms of this show like narratively or cinematography or anything like that, except this, like if you weren't trying to imply that Bev killed father Pruitt, why is her carrying poisoning. the rat poison part of this scene? Well, and I think too, cause when the interview that I saw where he said that, um, what actually kills father Pruitt, uh, <laughs> he was like, I don't understand why people think Bev would do it. And I'm like, because you put, this is in the montage of the same episode where he dies that she's messing around with rat poison. Like that is the logical conclusion. And the here. way he dies looks similar to how the dog died. Yes. <laughs> I don't, uh, just like <laughs> tweet Mike Flanagan and be like, what, what is going on? Or is it tweet now? Or is it like 
exhale. Oh, I don't who know. knows? <laughs> who knows? Uh, by the time this episode is posted, I'm sure we will all have more fun things to talk about Twitter, whether it's still Twitter or whether we're calling it Xter or X or, but at this time in July, I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> this episode probably won't go up till December. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I just think it was a mistake. Like this show is so tight it is so well done it is such a good story and then you have this and it's like (laughs) the fact that it's the one thing that people are arguing about online that flanagan doesn't even understand why people are arguing about it like right i mean the only thing i can think of is that it's just supposed to keep it in mind that or keep the viewer thinking about how bad forms rat poison yeah you know who doesn't want some rat poison in their communion uh moving (laughs) on uh speaking of communion uh we go to the next service we get a sermon um we get a cruet filled sketchily from a flask mm-hmm. uh but uh it's like father cruet has a drinking problem apparently <laughs> well he does go to aa oh that's true well he loves aa though so i mean in normal aa isn't it alcoholics who lead aa oh i don't know maybe i think it is except when it's like you're led by a priest and then priest within alcohol. Yeah. I don't think the whole problem. I, so that's what Warren's thinking. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Warren's probably like, uh, my brother used to be like this, right? Like (laughs) maybe this, I guess he doesn't know that that's father Pruitt though. It's like, maybe this is where he got his drinking. You know, that's actually, I didn't even think about that, but going back to this idea that it's wine. Right. And I, I don't know how the Catholic church handles this. Uh, but I know in a lot of Protestant churches, you have wine and then there's often a grape juice option for alcoholics, right? But in episode one, like Annie pressures Riley to get communion. And I'm like, wouldn't it actually be, I mean, I know it's not good wine in the communion and it's a little bit, but for an alcoholic, that can be enough. Like, yeah. so I'm like, they should have like a grape juice option available <laughs> since they know they have at least one alcoholic in their congregation. I, I don't know. They probably, I don't know. Do they even care about Riley at this point? Or is he just like the black sheep and just kind of like. Uh, I believe that Father Pruitt cares I about I think Riley. he does, yes. But. But this is an old fashioned small church. So even yeah. if the big Catholic churches have different options, this is like, there's like 20 people in the congregation usually. Not now. Well, they probably don't understand alcoholism either. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in this sermon, I. Father Pruitt, or Paul, whatever we're calling him, uh, (laughs) reminds us that the three words we're all supposed to remember are, well, they're not three words. The three phrases we're all supposed to remember are rebirth, second chances, eternal life. And doesn't that just summarize, uh, yeah. Later on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And the other words, the phrases he cares about. Yes, yes. I, you know, like... (sighs) Yeah, he's he's setting them up and you continue to see it in every sermon, right? How he is setting them up for this twist he's bringing to mm-hmm. them. And I mean, we talk about that with Jesus, right? Because we always talk about how like Jesus is the twist ending to God's story and that's not what anybody anticipated. And Jesus was constantly trying to set them up for this twist. But Father Pruitt, once again, is not Jesus. Uh, 
No, he's a cult leader. Uh, one of the things I wrote down that he says is we cannot pick, we cannot mentally picture the rewards he, God, promised. And I'm like, okay, if a normal pastor said this, I'd be like, yeah, we don't know what heaven looks like or like what the rest of our life is going to look like. But he's literally setting them up for vampirism. <laughs> That he's like saying, you congregant cannot imagine what rebirth, second chances, and eternal life might look like. And it might look like vampires. <laughs> just for example. Just for example. <laughs> vampires. Uh, yeah. But I feel like, I mean, because, I don't know, I, we, we yell out cults all the time. But like, I this is a stereotypical cult where the leader has special knowledge that only they have and that they are willing to bestow upon this. Now, I think I do. He has good intentions because he thinks that this is like, like no death. Like, this is great. This is obviously what God wanted. Like, it's not like it's not taking 2000 years for us to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, and this to him, this is new. Like it's old information, but the way it's happening, like this is new and that, and so I'm like, this is a stereotypical cult leader where they think they have this special knowledge. They have this special thing. That's like not really in the, like it is in the Bible, but like, it's not really in the Bible. And like this interpretation is like the right way. And I'm going to bestow it on you. And you're all going to blind me. Like, like you're all going to follow me, like me, not God, me type of thing. So I, I, I don't know. There's, he's, we expect to see this kind of behavior where he's like slowly laying the groundwork to try and make it sound like this isn't weird. Not at all. Like, I'm just going to show a little bit like, don't question this. This isn't weird. I'm going to, I'm going to give you stuff you do know and stuff that you do believe. And I'm going to slowly just mess it up. And like, if I do it slowly, if I lay this foundation for it, then you'll be ready to accept it when I spring vampires on you. <laughs> I, yeah. And then the, the, the point I noted in the sermon that was like, this is where I would have been like, what? Uh, because the <laughs> earlier stuff, I'm like, okay, I don't disagree. Right. We yeah. can't imagine the rewards. God gives us mysteries. This is all okay. Like things that we like on earth might not be like, there might be something better up there. Like, but then when he gets to the end and he's being all like Southern Baptist preacher. Right. And he's like, not metaphors, not abstract, not colorful, you know, language or whatever he says. And I'm like, but some of it is metaphors. Like mm -hmm. when we talk about rebirth, when we talk about being born again, that is a metaphor. <laughs> like actually going into someone's womb. <laughs> I'm like, what are you saying? Like some of this is metaphors for something we can't understand. Like, I mean, it's like when we talk about the atonement, right? And Jesus's death, like the disciples in you know the New Testament, they use a ton of metaphors for what happened, but none of it can truly capture what actually happened, which is why we can say there are still mysteries in the Bible because mm -hmm. we don't understand. Yeah. But all of these metaphors break down at some point, right? If you take every metaphor to an extreme, it's just like, well, that doesn't. That's not it. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> Which is why, like, the different disciples use multiple metaphors to try to describe what happened, right? So I'm like, you can't get up there and say there are not metaphors. <laughs> like, I don't... Well, even... I don't know. And even if you do, like, consider, like, coming back, resurrecting after you drank rat poison and, and vampire blood at the same time. Like, even if that's the case, you weren't literally reborn at that point. Like... Right. Right. <laughs> And, and then you just the, came back to life. 
I feel like this gets back to his fear (laughs) of death, right? So when he says like, because he's talking about rebirth, second chances, eternal life. And he's like, not metaphors, not abstract. And I'm like, oh, this is the problem, right? Father Pruitt is afraid of death. So when we talk about eternal life being something that happens after death, that's too abstract, right? You don't see it. Yeah. You can't prove it. It's not like you can't put your hands on it. It's an abstract idea Mm -hmm. uh, that he's right. We cannot mentally picture. Uh, But he's now saying, no, 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 no. None of this should be abstract. Right? Like you should live forever on earth. You should live forever on earth. Feasting on human Human blood. blood. (laughs) And then he collapses. Yeah. Like, dude, like he's like wavering throughout kind of like oh and he's like are you are you okay dude and then he collapses and going back to like did bev kill him bev actually looks concerned yes. multiple times in the sermon when he's like wavering and like but i think so i'll bring it up now i think her concern is because she sees him as her key to power and her key to control oh sure she has everything invested like in all so it is it's she's not concerned for him like oh i hope he's okay like that sucks if he gets sick it's like he cannot die. Like if he dies, then the power goes with him and I don't know what I'm going to do. We're going to figure something else out. And so every time, like I, like she looks completely horrified at the end when he's like really, really like dying. And I'm like, Oh, it's not a concern fear. It's like a fear, fear, like, Oh no, this is going away. Like my power is going away. This is not okay. What can I do? I'm powerless to stop this type of thing. So, like, I think that's why she's so concerned whenever he starts acting weird. Yeah. Uh, so he collapses, and then it goes back to the flashback again. Uh, and he's talking about Saul on the road to Damascus. And I was wondering, do you think this is why he chose the name Paul? Oh, maybe. Because he's directly correlating himself to Saul here. That's right? a good point. I think that is why. Yeah, because he's like, he's on the road to Damascus. He was transformed. He saw the light. Like, yeah. I think that's exactly why. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think Flanagan thought about these things. He wanders into a creepy cave, which you should never do. How did he get, this goes back to your like, was no one watching this man? Like, like, don't they do like you would have, like groups. a little roll call when they get on the bus to go somewhere? Like, do we have everyone? Okay. Like, this is really where the one place where you have to suspend your disbelief in this show, right? Because you're like, and then he comes Gotten back young. Customs. Yeah, yes, and people are just like, okay, like customs little vampire. We're not worried that we lost this American priest in uh, the Middle East. <laughs> no, it happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, ISIS got him. Okay. Like, <laughs> Third time this year. Uh, on the road to Damascus. Uh, we, uh... <laughs> um, but this snippet of flashbacks actually pretty short. And then it's him at uh, the doctor's house, which once, or no, the doctor came to him. Yeah. It's uh, a house call. Yeah. Which I find interesting. Like Bev hates Sarah so much, but like Bev brought Sarah here. Right. Uh, she is the only doctor. Uh, for power will make you do crazy things. <laughs> And then uh, Sarah says, it's like your body is fighting a virus. Foreshadowing. Which is foreshadowing, right? This is what Flanagan was actually trying to set up. Yes. Uh, And then we get to the, if Paul was Paul and not Pruitt, probably the most condescending line in the whole show, which is, I'm proud of you. (laughs) 
Yeah, and like, I don't know, like, with not knowing, well, spoiler, like, not knowing who Sarah really is, or yes, who he really is. I don't know how you want to phrase that or whatever. It's like, it's like, what? Right, could you imagine? <laughs> imagine you got a brand new pastor at your church. Brand new. Yeah. Right? You're in a meeting with him, and he says, Rachel, I'm proud of you. And everything that you've become. like You'd be like, like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> You're not my mom. Like, it's one thing when it's like an old pastor who's seen you grow up. Yeah. And they say, I'm proud of you. And you're like, oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I mean, it is Father Pruitt. She doesn't know it's Father She doesn't Pruitt. know it's Father Pruitt. But I don't know. She's probably had to deal with lots of like eccentric people. <laughs> it's probably just like, oh, okay, this is one of the weirder things that has happened to me. But um <laughs> Because usually I get this from like my older patients that do weird things, but this is the first to have like this like thirty like what do you think it's like thirty or forties probably yeah yeah your old guy tell me he's proud of me <laughs> yeah she's probably sitting there thinking like does he know I'm a lesbian like <laughs> <laughs> like last yeah. time I checked the Catholic Church isn't cool with this <laughs> it's like oh okay <laughs> oh. yeah. Also, I'm just like, what is Bev thinking when Pruitt says this to Sarah? Like, he's proud. Like, because Bev does not like Sarah, <laughs> you know? Like, I mean, Bev doesn't, like, actively hate Sarah because I think she just doesn't think about her that much because she's just like, she's an unbeliever. I don't care. Like, yeah. <laughs> she's an infidel. Uh, <laughs> yes. But she's probably just like, how can you be proud of this, like, unbeliever? Like this and lesbian like unbeliever. And she's the daughter of a believer, like who was very devout and went to mass all the time. So it's just like <sighs> Yeah. I feel like Bev's gotta be like, You've never said you're proud of me. <laughs> it's like, well, who is proud of Bev? <laughs> no one. No one. And of course that segues to the Bible and all these backpacks. Yeah. <sighs> oh my gosh. But we actually don't get to the school meeting right away because we get to actually the scene that makes everybody cry. Oh, yes. Yes. And I've seen that scene several times and I still cried yesterday when <laughs> she comes in and it's such a, I don't know, it's such a powerful scene because like her reaction to him is so human. And we're talking about Lisa and yeah. Joe Colley. Do you want to get, we can give the, the yeah, so Lisa comes to Joe's trailer, knocks on the door. Joe's pissed that someone's knocking on the door. He's he, trying to watch the game. Yeah, he opens the door, prepared to curse out whoever is on the other side. It's the only person he can't do that to. And it, like, seeing her, like, pushes him back, like, six steps. Yes. Like, there's a force field around her. He, yeah. Like, tries to get as far away from her as he can. And then she just starts, like, laying into him. Yes. Oh my gosh. It, yeah. It's just so like all of her feelings are so real and so valid and so human. Just, just, she lets out everything that she has harbored for the last, I don't know. I can't remember when, how old she was when she, was. she said, they say years. Yeah. So I know she was like a wee child when that happened and she's old enough to remember everything. So, but I don't know. So she just lets it all out. Like everything that she has ever wanted to tell this guy. And then after all of that, she tells him that she forgives him. And that's when he breaks down. Yes. Like he's like, he's prepared to receive all of the lashing because he knows he deserves it. And then to have her just forgive him at the end of that 
like breaks him down. He, I, I, it just kind of gives like the, I don't know. It just reminds me like forgiveness is divine. Like there is something so powerful about the act of forgiveness. And I think that's something that like, I think being able to forgive someone is divine. I think like the power of being forgiven is divine. And like, I feel like it's really captured in this scene of seeing him just like have that guilt like lifted off of him that he's been carrying for all those years. And I mean, he's, he's probably like, I'm a strong guy. I can take it. I can take all of that guilt or whatever, but to see the relief and just the happiness of her telling him that she forgives him and just is so touching. And it's what pushes him to change. Yeah. Cause he was an alcoholic and he was not going to change. And then because of this, he goes to AA. So it just shows that like, the power of forgiveness. Well, it's twofold, right? Like one, it's for Lisa for her yeah. to move beyond this. It helps right? everyone. Cause she says, you know, she realized that the only thing standing between her and a better life was her hate. But the only thing standing between Joe and a better life is him. Mm-hmm. So she's able to let go of this and move on with her life. And the, I mean, I think narratively overall, this helps her accept being paralyzed again in the end. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But it also pushes Joe to be like, if she can forgive me, maybe I can be a better person. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can forgive myself. Yes. And this is where we get the one verse from Proverbs that the episode is named after Mm -hmm. Proverbs 1632. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Uh, And I think that's the version she quotes, which Mm -hmm. is actually ESV, which I'm, I don't know. I don't know what version they use in the Catholic church, (laughs) the English standard version. Um, I had to Google it because I was like, I was like, whoever is slow to anger. And it's one of those websites that pops up like the verse and like all the versions. And you're like, okay, which one is? (laughs) Uh, I mean, she says it's Proverbs 1632, but I was just like, I'm trying to find like the version. And if I just Google Proverbs 1632, it's going to default to something like NIV or KJV. So yeah, I mean, this scene is just. Her like the way she communicates what he did to her, just especially when she gets to like, you stole from me. You didn't even steal from me. Now you reached into my future and you stole not just who I am now, but everything I could be. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. yep. And then the next scene is Bev in the school meeting about the Bible. <laughs> Bev is the worst. She, she is a blatant liar. Like I, I think like, so I'll start off. The sheriff has a point. Like if I sent my kids to school and they came back home with like the Quran or some like other religious text. That and was not, not like a worksheet that's excerpts from various right, ones like and like a comparative actual, religion thing. I, I would be concerned. And if I found out they were having like, not like, I know there's religion classes and that's fine. But like, if there was someone like evangelizing my child at school, who's and, not a student, who's not a student and is like for not, I mean, children are impressionable. It's like, I don't mind them learning about other religions, but I would like it to be an environment that I have control over and be like, okay, let's talk about this. This is what we believe. And this is why like that kind of stuff. Like when you hand it to another adult 
who doesn't have that, who may not have the same mindset, that's where it can get kind of like sketchy. And so it's like, okay, I understand. I wouldn't want my kid coming home, like having his idea or her ideological ideology. Yeah. Like twisted without my knowledge or whatever. So I'd be, I'd be pretty mad too. And she, I mean, she just lies to him. Yeah. Like I wouldn't be upset about this. Like, Oh, I would never be upset if my child, who I don't have because I'm Beth, came home with Thankfully a Quran. Never <laughs> like, uh, and the other thing is, she's like, anything I quote, I vet beforehand. But, but so why? How, how come that doesn't make me feel better? Uh, so uh, that just means you're only quoting Christian text, which is but once then, again the problem. But then there's also Badaji because, like, she's like, it's just a book. Like, it's just like a science book or like a history book or whatever. And I'm like, you know, you know, it's that not. is not true. Like, you can't downplay it and then be offended when someone else is offended that you're talking about. Because like, you know, or and you can't dedicate your life to following it if you just see it as just. A I have not like, dedicated my life to Hamlet. No, no. <laughs> like, it's just a book. I'm like, it's not. It's not, though. Because like, if it was just a book, you wouldn't. Be, you wouldn't be following what it says in there. Right. And, and then she has this quote that she's like, this community is in the midst of a full-blown religious revival at the moment. If the kids can't discuss it in their own local school. And I'm like, that is not the problem. No. The problem is not the kids discussing it. The problem is not that Ali said, Warren gave me this Bible. Yeah. The problem is his teacher, teacher. gave him the Bible. Yes. And the only thing, like... I mean, I'm not all about like, you can't talk about this at all in school. Like, but I feel like it has to be like an invited conversation or whatever. Like if the kids were like, what happened? And then that brought up this conversation or whatever. But like, to but have she's her, reading, but she's like, indoctrinating. She she's is not- reading from the Bible in homeroom every day. Yes. Before this happened. It's like, and in some schools, that's okay. If you're going to a Christian school, that's okay. That's expected. But this is the only school on this island. Yes. It's a public school. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like, um, I don't know. Do you want to have a Bible study after school or at lunch that you want to invite kids to? That's fine. But like, I don't know. <laughs> There's some, I feel like there are some boundaries that are crossed. Yes. And she, and the fact that she's so two-faced about it. Yes. Right. Like, I mean, whenever like discussions like prayer and school come up because, you know, I'm in some Bible studies with some older folks who are like, it's ridiculous that there's not prayer in school anymore. And I'm like, okay, would you be okay if a Muslim teacher was praying over the intercom? Right. And they're like, no. And I'm like, then what are we talking about? Right. No, <laughs> I, I agree. And it's like, I don't think it should be like, if they're having their own discussions. They can have their own prayer meetings, the yeah, kids, their own fine. discussions. You can have a teacher sponsor of a Christian club, right? Or yeah. a Muslim club or a Jewish club. Right. But you cannot have... Like the principalized coming over the intercom <laughs> and like, uh, no, like not in a public. School. Right. I don't like some of those things. Like there are some issues that I feel like this should, these discussions, these foundations, these whatever should be laid in the home, not forced upon them in school or whatever. I mean, when I was in sixth grade, we definitely had a class about world religions. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah. And that was in a public school and that was fine. And we you talk- know what you're getting into when yeah. you get into that. And we talked about the Exodus story. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, the life of Muhammad 
like, uh, and we talked about, uh, I actually think we didn't talk about Jesus that much because everyone in the class was a Christian, <laughs> but you know, like it's a Mississippi public school. Yes. We talked about Hinduism and we talked about Buddha, the guy who became Buddha. I remember yeah. that, but like, this was like a six week crash course, not like a, and it wasn't like these are real. And it wasn't like we read from the holy texts. Yeah. It was like, here's the historical like background for each of these religious movements. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, cause it was history class. It was social studies. And yeah. like, these are how these religious movements, like where they're still popular in the world today, you know, like, and things like that, but not this. <laughs> no. And I mean, the only thing I can think is like, maybe that's what they did. Maybe she was doing that before the sheriff and his son got there. And then it wasn't weird, but I feel like it still would have been weird because not everybody on the island goes to church. So also, like, everyone on that island hates Bev. So this is true. I don't want Bev indoctrinating my child in religion, no. even if it's the same religion. She uses it wrong. She uses all the <laughs> verses out of context. She uses it to control people. Like it's not. It's not good. <laughs> oh man, we're going long today. We have a lot of feelings about this episode. There's a lot. There's a lot that happens in this episode. Like. Uh, so Millie like wakes up from her Alzheimer's and it's really like, like, she's like, she's been somewhere dark and now it's like, she woke up and you're like, what's happening? <laughs> uh, then we have the AA meeting. Um, my favorite part about this AA meeting is actually when Pruitt calls Riley out on like not welcoming Joe. Like, okay, well, it wasn't uh, like not welcome. It's like, he's not. It, it, the question he's was not like, sharing his experience. Yes. He's like, that's BS. He doesn't say BS. He says the word, but you know, like, <laughs> uh, like you can talk to them. <laughs> this is a PG, Podcast. maybe, I don't know. It might be PG 13 just because of the content we're talking about. Not much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we want children knowing about, uh, vampires, vampires. <laughs> outside of like, uh, Hotel Transylvania. Yeah, that those That's are okay. cute. <laughs> Riley learns Joe's sister is dead, this which is, is going to be important. <laughs> and then Joe asks the question, does it ever get different for people like us? Um, this is probably actually the most hopeful Riley has been yet in mm-hmm. this show because he says he doesn't think so. But maybe if they work really hard, maybe they become different people. Uh, and I think that that's like, yeah. It's nice because he's getting a little community. Yes. Riley's getting a community that's all going to be taken away from him. Yeah. Ah. Uh, then we get to Ollie and the sheriff's conversation about suffering. Yes. Which I think is so powerful. Like, well, there's a couple of things in here. One, Ollie is a punk teenager. Yes. <laughs> he's like, you get to make all the decisions, dad. And I'm like, yeah, because he's the dad. <laughs> Welcome to being a child, child. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, just the conversation about like how God chooses to heal and who he chooses, you know, and who he gives miracles to do and who he doesn't and who he saves. Like this is a relevant and important conversation, even like amongst believers, right? Like we all have different ways of, thinking about this and dealing with this. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I had this conversation one time at church related to this, not quite suffering. Um, but it was with, um, 
in one of my Bible classes and they were talking about how children are a blessing. And I disagreed. And I said, they're not a blessing, they're a privilege. And they were like, well, what's the difference? And I was like, well, if you say they're a blessing, then you mean the person who's infertile is not blessed, unblessed by God. Yes. <laughs> like God doesn't love them as much as they love you. And he's like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm like, God gave you a privilege. And Jesus speaks to that too much, who much is given, much is expected, mm-hmm. right? Like you were given a privilege, like the, and like, but when you start calling it like a blessing, you're implying something right about the people who don't get these things. Yeah. I, uh, and I, uh, you know, when it comes to healing, it's, it's kind of similar, right? Like it's kind of, it's kind of random who survives cancer and who doesn't. Right. And are, you know, when you start saying, well, it was a miracle for this person, they had faith. So are you saying that person who died didn't have faith? Like, what are you saying? So, you know, it becomes important. Like we cannot understand God. There are mysteries, Mm -hmm. but it's how we talk to each other about these things I think are, is super important and how we phrase it because we can accidentally hurt people and imply something about God to them that we don't actually mean. I agree. I, um, I thought that this scene was very, like, I don't know if this is just, like, the Muslim perspective, but I feel like it's almost like a deist perspective where it's, like, God puts everything in motion and then just kind of, like, steps back right. and is, like, he's he demands praise, he demands honor, he demands you follow, like, his rules, but, like, he's not really involved in your life and, like, tweaking turn like he's not taking care of you he's just like oh yes worship me live your life it's fine but like worship me like uh, because i deserve it like so i don't know i don't know much about like the muslim perspective if that's what it is but um i don't think it is it's like another i don't know i just found it interesting because that was like another faucet that flanagan's like talking about he's he's shown the christian perspective that like suffering happens because god's at work and he's shaping you into the person he wants you to be. And then you have like the atheist perspective. That's like, there is no God suffering happens because people suck and that's it. Like there's no, there's nothing else there. And then you get this other kind of perspective. It's like, no, God exists. He doesn't really like, he doesn't really care if you're suffering. This is just the world that he created and you're supposed to worship him and follow him regardless of what's happening in your life. So I don't know. I appreciated like that. It wasn't just a black and white perspective. There's also this other perspective that Flanagan gives, uh, gives like he, he pays homage to, or he like gives heed to or whatever that also kind of increase, like expands that discussion on God versus suffering versus people. And I mean, I think when we talk about God and suffering, like God doesn't, I don't think God causes suffering in people, right? Like I think we are, fallen people in a fallen world. So suffering is inevitable. And then God can use that suffering. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's just, but it's just, it makes it complicated. Right. Um, like it's like, I mean, you go to the extreme example, you go to like Nazis, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and it's like, why was that allowed? Why was that allowed? (laughs) You know, uh, you know, these are God's chosen people and God let 50% of them be just like exterminated gone. Like I, you know, and it's just, uh, we, we cannot know or understand. Right. Uh, and I just think we get in trouble 
when we talk about suffering from what's essentially a prosperity gospel context right. of God loves me more. And that's why I got these things. And I'm like, you know who God loved most? Jesus. And he suffered. So I don't think like he didn't step in and stop that. Like, <laughs> and Jesus asked, yes, please don't make me do this. <laughs> yes. Like, it's not like you're like, well, Jesus didn't ask for the cup to pass. Like, oh, well, no, no, he did. He did. <laughs> like, be really cool. <laughs> If I did not have to do this, <laughs> you know, God, if you could just invent lethal injection real quick, that would be great. <laughs> um, yeah. And then we have the vampire at the window. Yes. That you couldn't see for, I could long. not see it's the way the lighting is on that scene and the way my computer is. I was able to see it when I was watching it last night, but like, I, I did not see this for like, rewatched the episode multiple times. I think I recorded it for you off of my TV. Like, here, this is what it looks like. And I was like, oh. to you. Like, yeah, that like, would war- elicit that reaction from me too. He's like jumping away from the window and cursing. And I saw nothing. I, obviously, my computer monitor is not very good. Not very good. Um, Father Paul dies violently <laughs> in front of lots of people actually i mean it's not like at church but like the mayor's there beth is there they're like planning some sort of surprise thing for the priest and he just comes in there and dies <laughs> which also imagine, if you're like, planning a surprise for him don't do it in his house right right i was like it's funny it's like oh poor guy he can't even come to his house and die in peace there's always someone there <laughs> beth is always there she is always there um, we already talked about how she didn't kill him. Um, and then it goes to the flashback where we learn what actually happened. Can we talk about angels? OMG. <laughs> uh, he even has a little aura, like a little halo thingy that appears when he's like, he's an angel. Also, I also, this is the side thing. Like, I loved his Canadian accent. He's like, and he was so afraid. I was like, oh. <laughs> Canadian. <laughs> Next, he's going to say a boot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the thing that gets me is when he's describing the angels, at one point he says, hiding in the shadows, afraid of the light. Like he literally says that. And I, I told you this earlier, but I wrote in my notes in all caps, there are whole Bible verses about this Pruitt. Like literally Jesus talks about this. I can't even. Uh, so the Bible verse that I'm referencing is John 3, 19 through 21. This is the American standard version. Uh, and it's, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. The men loved the darkness rather than light for their works were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light and cometh not to the light. Actually, this doesn't sound like the American standard. But it, cometh not to the light lest his works should be reproved. But he that doth the truth cometh to the light that his works may be made manifest and that they have been wrought in God. Oh, I think it is the American standard version. It's not the new American uh, uh, the OG one. So, I mean, but what he says here, this is Jesus, by the way. This is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. This is the verses like right after John 3 16. And he's like, basically, cockroaches are evil. That is what this says. I support this. <laughs> Things that flee from the light. And there's other verses about this too. This is not the only section where it talks about, you know, Darkness hides bad things. Only people who do bad things are afraid of the light. And now we have something that literally cannot go in the light. And you're going to say it's an angel. Where in the Bible are angels afraid of the light? 
I don't remember that. But I think, I mean, <laughs> there's so many. And he, like, takes so much scripture out of context after this. Like, it just was driving me up the wall. But, like, I honestly think it's because of his fear of death. And I think, I mean, you kind of see this later where, like, people use Bible verses like something bad will happen. Something terrible will happen. And then the people in this episode, or not in this episode, in this series will like, well, this is what it must mean. So then it's not really bad. Like, <laughs> like what, what I think in the, it's not the next episode. I don't know. The, ne- the episode where Pruitt kills Joe. They like, they, they do the same thing where they're like, well, here's a Bible verse about horrible things happening. My, and like, my favorite is like, well, do you feel guilty that yeah. it wasn't bad? Like, oh. God, God took your guilt from you because like he said he would or whatever. So I feel like it's this is kind of in the same vein. We're like, this weird, scary thing happened. And um, therefore, like this, uh, this goes, this kind of matches up with this Bible verse. So we're all cool. Like, because I don't think, I think father paul or father pruitt is like i think he came to these conclusions after this all happened like i don't think he was yes. literally in there like old and decrepit and be like it's an angel like i think it was like <laughs> father paul's like i can think clearly now for the first time in probably like a couple decades or whatever what just happened oh it must have been an angel like and so he's remembering this stuff being like this happened this thing tried to eat me like i was really scared he backed off he gave me some he like cut his wrist and then like made me drink this the blood that came out of it so like and i'm alive and rejuvenated now so must have been from god like evil people could never heal yeah like <sighs> there's no power in like dark things so like no 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 this has to be like let me see oh yeah here's a bunch of scripture that i can use to like support this like even though it's completely out of context and completely misinterpreted, like, I think, I don't know. I think this is his fear of death that allows him to twist the scriptures to be what he wants it to say and not what it actually says. And this is why context is so important. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I, I mean, I know there are people who are like, but if it's not in the plain reading of the text and very clear, then that's not what God meant. And I'm like, but there's context and you can't just pull the verse out and like, you can't, otherwise you end up with vampires who are angels. (laughs) Get a cult. (laughs) This is how cults start. Yes. Like, 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 that's not, that can't mean that. This is probably how it should have been like translated. It should be this. And then it's like, yeah, but like, it kind of says the same thing, like, but it doesn't say the same thing. Well, like, you know, Rachel, everyone knows that Jeremiah 29, 11 means God's just going to prosper you. So I don't... This is true. But I can't say anything because that was my verse in my uh, that I picked for my senior. That's because like, you were a high schooler in America. This is... You were a Christian high schooler in America. And uh, there is no one worse at it than teenagers. But, uh, yeah. I would pick a different verse now if... That, if I could go back and change it. But <laughs> once again, I'm not saying anyone can't take a verse for context, but uh, that promise is not for you, America. <laughs> uh, okay. I also like that he ends this whole confession with forgive me, Lord, for these small lies I have to tell in your service. Small. <laughs> hmm. I don't think lying about your whole identity is small. Uh or the vampire. 
or killing someone um or <laughs> also well he didn't know he was gonna kill someone you yet, cannot so. pre-ask for forgiveness for sins you have not committed Just this is do very <laughs> 1500s catholicism and i thought we fixed this uh, you cannot buy your indulgences, Father Pruitt. <laughs> You're supposed to just not do Good them. for one sin. Yay! <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Father Pruitt. Clearly not a student of history. No. All right, so then we flash forward back to the death. Uh, he wakes up and everyone has, like, the pants scared off of them. Like, <laughs> I mean, do you blame them? No. I'm like, I probably would pee myself. Like, I don't... <laughs> Bev immediately accepts this is some sort of miracle and everybody else just has this expression on their face that's like what the <laughs> what just happened <laughs> or as our boss used to say where's the fun yes uh, <laughs> uh, what the heck is happening here uh, but see Bev also knows she knows that she he's knows he's Father Pruitt, Pruitt. Yeah. so she's going to point it out to the others in the next episode yeah right? Because, like, and this is where you see what she saw, like, when she was just staring into the camera. While they play blasphemous music. Yeah. <laughs> the music is not blasphemous on its own. It's... The context. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's they play, were you there when they crucified, crucified my Lord? Lord. Yes. So they are implying that Father Pruitt's death, which, I mean, they're not implying. They, like, Flanagan is stating that this is how these people are going to take this. Yes. Right? That Pruitt is their new Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, which he is setting himself up to be because he has a new salvation and a new truth. And I don't think he thinks of himself that way, but he's just like naive or yeah. like, I don't know. Cause I don't think he thinks in his mind, like I'm countering God or I'm setting like, myself I'm up Jesus against now. Jesus. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's not thinking that he's thinking, but that's immediately. So it's like in the old Testament, right? Moses. Moses goes up on the mountain. Everybody immediately panics, right? And when I would discuss this lesson with my middle schoolers, I'd be like, because, yeah, who do you think the Israelites actually had faith in, God or Moses? And they'd be like, Moses. So as soon as Moses left them, they panicked, right? It's like Peggy, when you leave. When I leave. <laughs> like, to Peggy right now, I am like God, which is problematic, right? Yeah, but she's she's a wee child. So. She is one years old. Uh, like, it is so easy for us humans to misplace our faith into a person we can see. Yeah. And Father Pruitt is too naive to see that. Mm-hmm. Like I think Moses was. Moses was like, naive is not the right word for Moses. But he was like, why are you guys freaking out that I'm not here? God didn't leave you. And they're just like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. But you did. <laughs> you're the one who did all these great things, Moses. He's like, but I know. <laughs> but that's, that's human nature. Yes. Right? And Father Pruitt is just has no idea like and he is becoming their jesus he healed their daughter he just got resurrected from the dead yeah i mean this just this equals jesus jesus i mean jesus said he was coming back clearly as a vampiric uh priest Yeah. Uh, so the virus is what kills him, not Bev. According to Flanagan. According to Flanagan. And now the vampirism resurrects him. Uh, and uh, we will see ramifications of that next episode.
dun, dun, dun. Because the fourth episode is the one that ended, and I was like, what is this show doing? <laughs> so look forward to that conversation, folks. Uh, any last-minute thoughts about this episode? Uh, no, not. Uh, all right, there was a lot in this episode. This one's definitely a long episode, but yeah. I think it's really good to like give the background of what's going on and yeah, had some very powerful scenes with like Lisa and everything. Yeah. So, um, I don't really have anything else. I think we covered everything. (laughs) Nothing that I missed in your notes that you want to talk about real quick. No, uh, not really. The only, I think the only other question I have like was like, why didn't Bev tell anyone? that she saw him on the wall. Is that her like little secret powerful thing or like, I think she wants to have special knowledge. Ah, uh, right. Cause what makes you the best is when you're like the disciple. Yeah. The one that Jesus loved. <laughs> John. Uh, <laughs> like, I could be John. <laughs> you want to be the inner circle and yes. feel like you have knowledge that the others don't have. And yes. I think that makes her feel powerful and special. Yes. Makes sense. No, I would be like, I need someone else to verify this. I know. <laughs> Like, does he just spill the tea? Father Pruitt, when he was younger, uh, does this guy look like? Do we have a better picture? Because this newspaper picture is actually not that good. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Because when they zoom in on, I'm like, oh, how could you even tell that was him? (laughs) I wouldn't make that connection. No, No. (laughs) I definitely wouldn't either. But I also feel like I have some face blindness, and just be like, okay. (laughs) We're also just engineers living our engineer lives, Uh, so. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Rachel, for coming back uh, for a midnight mass. Thanks for having uh, me. And uh, yeah, we will continue discussing midnight mass with season season episode <laughs> four eventually. <laughs> uh, thanks. Thanks, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you will join us again next month on February fifteenth. I'll be welcoming back Jessica Camacho, but this time we'll be discussing the first book of the Wheel of Time series entitled The Eye of the World by Robert Jordan, along with its adaptation, season one of Amazon Prime's The Wheel of Time. We will be discussing both, and uh, we I tried to focus on the book, but the conversation went to the show a lot. I do want to give warnings that uh, season one of the show has some minor spoilers for the second book of the Wheel of Time series. If you don't want to get spoiled on the books, please don't watch season two because season two has major spoilers for the second book. Uh, so we are focusing on the first book, which is uh, The Eye of the World and season one of Amazon Prime's adaptation. Thank you for listening to Mandemonium. You can find me, Mandy, on Twitter at Brown underscore Aja. That's A-J-A-H. You can also find the podcast on Twitter at Mandemonium Pod. And we also have a podcast Facebook page. Theme music for this podcast was created by Skips a Beat Music. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you come back next time. <laughs>